Just wait a minute. We got a job for you. I don't want no job. Why not? It's too much, too much like work, man. Listen, this is strictly nowhere. You got a lot of sick, old-fashioned ideas about working hard and living clean, and it's all a lot of junk. I'm too tired to listen. I mean, work is for suckers. You know, I like my job, Skipper. I wouldn't want to lose it. Hey, this is Chris T, and welcome back to Job Story. In this job story, a different kind of miserable. As soon as Sweet Tea uttered that phrase, I knew it'd be the title for this week's job story. We were discussing the misery I'm experiencing as I confront issues I didn't have to think about for a dozen years, like where the money will come from, what I'll do with my day, if I have any viability in the marketplace, what to wear on interviews, whether to shave off my beard, etc., it's a different kind of miserable, in some ways preferable to what I went through at my job. The question plaguing me, was the high degree of mental anguish worth what I was paid? I suppose I'll find out. A life crisis always spurs a need in me to write, whether it's a relationship gone sour, someone dying, or the loss of a job. I'd been neglecting my journal for a long while, then bam, I lose my job and it pours out of me. I love that my writing gets a good response, whether it's a rant on Facebook or a piece in my newsletter. I'm not yet sure how to monetize, Lord, how I hate that word, any of it. People I respect use Patreon to solicit money from, quote, admirers, unquote, for everything from podcasts, to new albums, to tours, to books, do they earn enough to survive? What previously made me squeamish, seeming like a form of high-tech panhandling, may be what I come to if I don't find gainful employment. I'd prefer not to live off my 401k before absolutely necessary. Speaking of, I emailed my accountant last Tuesday and he replied saying I was way too exposed with stock, especially in the old company. That holding alone represented more than 50% of my account's total value. Yes, the share price has climbed this year, around 17%. Some of that came at the expense of my job. Pardon me if I don't want to encourage that. To ensure the money's there when needed, I dumped all my former employer's stock and put the proceeds into a stayed guaranteed income fund and Mutual Bonds Fund. I also moved money out of the four other stock-based funds in my plan, reducing my total exposure to 20%. I'll admit to still feeling nervous about any money in the stock market. I've never been one to play the stock market. I believe the market plays you. I keep hearing whisperings about a reset coming, a crash, or however you'd like to characterize it. The last thing I need is for the money in my 401k to start hemorrhaging. I'll park it in a safe place for a while and accept the lower rate of return. Ultimately, I may have to leave the company 401k altogether if I don't have money in their stock. Another thing I didn't have to think about is establishing my own retirement account. I'll wait for the plan administrator or my former employer to tell me that. I also spent time yesterday moving stuff around in our home so I can ultimately empty out the office closet and turn it into a vocal booth. We live in a 100-year-old house, and there's a serious lack of closet space, especially upstairs in the bedrooms. The two smaller bedrooms have no closets. The larger bedrooms have tiny closets. 
Then there's the office closet, which is deeper and taller than the bedroom closets because there's roof access at the top. We've lived here since April 2007, and I've never gone up the roof hatch, but it might be worthwhile at some point. I'm certainly not getting on a ladder to go up the exterior of this place. That's not a job for me. I was proud of myself for throwing things out yesterday, since it's not in my nature to chuck anything for which I might have future use. I wouldn't call myself a hoarder, but I hate thinking I'm throwing out something with value. But much of what I stashed in that closet was empty boxes. I'm reluctant to part with those because I think it helps when it comes time to sell something or to move. Any electronic item purchased over the last 11 years has a corresponding box in that closet. Apple products, internet radios, microphones, other radio gear, etc. There's a box for it. I was proud of myself for throwing things out. The office closet has a shelf approximately six feet up. The total height of the closet is probably 10 feet or more. And I debated whether to leave the boxes overhead and sit beneath them while I record or clear them out. I opted for the latter. I don't want to be in that closet if the shelf gives way and all that shit crashes down. I'll also be standing for much of what I record and there's a half inch of clearance with the shelf in. It also means clear access to the roof without a bunch of boxes in the way. The biggest obstacle in the closet is the two-foot-wide, four-foot-high, freestanding LP cabinet holding roughly 68 inches of albums. There are records, pardon me if I don't call them vinyls, in those shelves representing my first purchase, Sgt. Pepper, to most recent acquisition, the lost Dion album, Kicking Child, on Norton Records. I don't buy records anymore. Most of what I've accumulated the last few years are promotional items given to me by record labels or the artists themselves. I've been trying to figure out where to put these LPs, and the best I've come up with is in the front bedroom closet on a shelf three-quarters of the way up. It's not an ideal solution because some eight inches of records on either end will be blocked by the wall, but it's not like I'm playing those records now. They're only in the office closet because the plan was to record them into my computer via a Techniques turntable and a USB preamp. It only requires slapping a record on the turntable and hitting record in any number of apps to commit that LP to iTunes. But I haven't even gotten around to digitizing my CDs, which is far simpler. Don't get me started on the cassettes and minidiscs. Don't get me started on the cassettes and minidiscs. It's all here in the office. Tons of aerial view and freewheeling shows, buckets of other radio air checks, favorite albums and singles, etc. Most of it in the original format. It haunts me. The thought of moving and dragging all this physical media to another locale fills me with dread. Did I mention the reel-to-reel tapes I still own? The LPs and singles are another story. I can't see myself unloading them even if I do record them. I know people who have dumped their vinyl because I've been the recipient of the no longer desired discs. A few years back, I contacted a friend with a vintage record store in Brooklyn. He was willing to come to our house and make an offer on my entire collection. I had to cancel last minute. I couldn't bring myself to say goodbye. There's something reassuring about owning these records, not nostalgia. It's something intangible. Yes, every LP could be seen as a signpost of my youth. That's not it either. 
Could it be that I don't want things to seem that desperate? Selling my records would mean I need the cash. It hasn't come to that. I'm on a high wire without a net, but I haven't fallen yet. Let's hear it for Coney Island and the Mermaid Parade. Lori doesn't know this, but I used to take her calls at eventide. That's right, I was the shipping person, Lori. That was me. <laughs> Lori Anderson, Lou Reed, our Queen Mermaid, and King Neptune. How many people love the Velvet Underground out there? How many of you love Lou Reed? Oh, Superman, how many of you love Lori Anderson? Oh, there's a little bit more love for Lori yeah. than All Lou. Right, Don't now. pass that on. This is Chris T. on Job Story, and I have some do's and don'ts for live event MCs. According to Wikipedia, the term is earliest documented in the Catholic Church since the 5th century, where the Master of Ceremonies was and still is an official of the papal court responsible for the proper and smooth conduct of the elegant and elaborate rituals involving the Pope and the sacred liturgy. Today, the term for a male or its female equivalent, comere, often connotes a master of ceremonies who presents performers, speaks to the audience, entertains people, and generally keeps a contemporary event moving. As such, the term occurs in the entertainment industry, including for television game show hosts, as well as in contemporary hip-hop and electronic dance music culture, where MC refers to rap artists or performers who perform vocals for their own original material. Since 1987, I've served as MC of the Coney Island Mermaid Parade, which began in 1982 as a revival of an old tradition, the week-long Coney Island Mardi Gras. Dick Ziggin, founder and artistic director of Coney Island USA and permanently unelected mayor of the beach and Coney Island, decided a new tradition was needed, a way to celebrate the summer solstice and have some outlandish fun. He thought, what's more ridiculous than mermaids marching? And the mermaid parade was born. From very humble beginnings as a non-motorized march down the now 95-year-old Regalman boardwalk, upon which was recently bestowed New York City landmark status, the Mermaid Parade has grown to a three-hour-plus extravaganza, featuring vintage automobiles, marching bands, motorized and non-motorized floats, and hundreds of mermaids and mermen of all ages, colors, and sizes. The Mermaid Parade also marched into the New York City record books, boasting the third-largest audience turnout of the many parades the city hosts annually. The Thanksgiving and Pride Parades are usually first and second, if memory serves. We've had audience estimates of half a million people some years. Everyone from Queen Latifah and Curtis Sliwa to Lori Anderson and Lou Reed to Chris Stein and Debbie Harry have served as ceremonial Queen Mermaid and King Neptune, pushed along the new route on Surf Avenue and up on the boardwalk in a 1920s vintage rolling chair. This year's Queen and King, by the way, are Amanda Palmer and Neil Gaiman. 
In the 31 years I've served as main MC, I work with a co-MC and chief justice who oversees the, quote, corrupt, unquote, judges on the reviewing stand responsible for giving out awards in exchange for, quote, bribes, end quote, in the form of food and drink, though they're actually judging on merit. I've seen it all from last year's hand mermaids tales to three-story-high puppet sea creatures to vintage RVs shoving themselves into reverse and nearly backing over marchers to baby mermaids in strollers blissfully sleeping through it all. I was enlisted to MC the Mermaid Parade via my work on radio station WFMU as DJ and host and my gig presenting music nights at the old Coney Island, USA location at Boardwalk and 12th Street. I did everything from the booking of bands, to announcing the acts, to running the sound and lights, to DJing with two turntables and a microphone. I've been a performer since my high school acting days, dramas and musicals, and had extensive experience being on mic for live radio remotes, so being in front of an audience didn't faze me. But the Mermaid Parade was a new animal and required a different approach. Emceeing a live event The size of the Mermaid Parade takes stamina and a strict approach to vocal discipline. Working a massive PA system utilizes different skills than being on air in front of a radio audience or recording a voiceover for a podcast like I'm doing now. You need to move some air to be heard. While it's not exactly shouting, which strains the voice, it is emphatic. You must practically eat the microphone. At the same time, You act as traffic cop, which in my case means keeping the parade moving. We're trying to keep the parade under four hours, grueling by anyone's standards when you're in the hot sun. Though some bands, dance troops, etc. have honed their routine all year, there isn't time to give them four or five minutes each in front of the judges. It's up to me to keep one eye on the clock and pronounce a loud and hearty thanks when it's time to move along. It helps to have a quick wit and sense of humor to do the crowd work necessary to keep the audience on your side, especially when you're asking a popular act to wrap things up early. Here are some other pre, during, and after live event MC do's and don'ts I've formulated over the years in no particular order. They're applicable to an annual event the size of the Mermaid Parade or at your next block party with slight adjustments. Here are some do's. Rest your voice beforehand. No long conversations or shouting. Drink aloe vera juice to keep your throat soothed. Determine if you're working alone or with another announcer. Contact them beforehand. Show up early. This is your chance to reconnoiter the site and liaise with event coordinators and PA crew. Bring your own food and drink in a small cooler. Use an emphatic announcing approach, pushing the PA by close working the microphone. Proximity effect is your friend. Bring your own microphone if you found one that works well for your voice. Use a, quote, cough drop, unquote, a momentary mic kill switch for coughing, sneezing, off-mic remarks, etc. Prep some facts and figures to lean on when things slow down. Use humor to work the crowd and keep them on your side. Share the announcing with a co-MC, a DJ, 
or other hot talker, someone with the gift of gab. Acknowledge the presenting organization frequently, especially if it's a fundraiser. Give out a short URL or text-to message. Repeat when necessary. Thank any law enforcement and EMS personnel in attendance. I also shout out to New York's strongest, the Sanitation Department. Remind folks to come back next year. Here are some don'ts. Don't blow out your voice by shouting or doing all the talking yourself. Don't sit down during the event if possible. Stand at a podium or lean on a stool. Don't drink something besides water. Sugary drinks, caffeine, beer, and booze won't help. Don't walk into an event, quote, audio blind, unquote. Contact whomever is operating the PA. Don't work blue at a family-friendly event. No cursing. Don't let a performer or group spend too long in the spotlight. Keep things moving. Don't forget an umbrella if you'll be outdoors. Don't read to the crowd. Absorb the info and put it into your own words. Don't accept food or drink from anyone. Don't let participants speak off mic. No one can hear them. Have a co-MC or someone else bring them a microphone if you can't. Don't rely solely on a wireless mic. Make sure the PA crew has a wired mic available as backup. Don't allow anyone to grab your microphone. Hold on to it and put it in front of them. Take control back if necessary. Don't give out a phone number. No one's remembering or writing down a phone number. Don't make it about yourself. It's fine to remind people who you are, but this isn't time to relay your work experience don't be shy about handing out a business card at the right moment. Don't leave the podium or stage as soon as it's over. Stick around for questions or for folks to say hello. I'm sure there's a few tips I forgot, but I have an excellent opportunity to remember them. The 36th Annual Coney Island Mermaid Parade kicks off this Saturday, June 16th at 1 p.m. on Surf Avenue in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. You can get all the information by going to ConeyIsland.com. I'll be the one at the Mermaid Podium in front of the reviewing stand. The person Coney Island USA dubbed, quote, the voice of the Mermaid Parade, unquote, your MC, which in this usage likely stands for mental case. I'll be ably assisted by my friend Joey X and by Chief Justice Mark Aladeff. Come and toss us a howdy if you get there. And remember to stick around after the parade for the Mermaid Parade Ball, the official after-party of the Mermaid Parade, Saturday, June 16th, from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. at Kitchen 21's Roof Deck. The details, again, are available at ConeyIsland.com. Friends, thanks for joining me for another job story. You can send me email at jobstorypod at gmail.com, and job story is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please also drop me a line if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, which is called See You Next Tuesday. And speaking of which, I will see you next Tuesday. This is very con conceptual. What is happening here? I see London. I see France. All hands on deck. Is that an E? Are you sure that's an E?
Oh yes, deck. Okay, thank you. Just double checking. Wow. All right. I see some Victorian underpants. Thank number you, ladies. Four. Number 84, Ariel and her family determined to save And 87. Nobody has a right to booze unless he earns the money. I don't want to be a law. You don't work, you don't drink. Suppose you tune in next week to see if I'm still on the job.